0: I'll uh, invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. And then, uh, first, I uh, want you to turn also over to 2 Timothy chapter, uh, what is it? I think it's chapter 3. Turn to uh, Matthew 24 and, and uh, 2 Timothy. We'll find the place that we want to go from there. There are some things that, uh, that have been stirring around in my heart that I uh, began with a little bit last uh, Sunday morning, but I really didn't get it out of my heart. So I want to... um, uh, I want to... Well, I I don't know exactly what I want to do. I I know where I want to start. I don't know where I want to go. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus has been asked by the disciples, what's the sign of the end? You know, I think that's probably the number one question among people. When is the end coming? You know, we we see... uh, um, things that that are represented by anything from a nutcase wearing a sandwich board saying the end is near walking down through town to um, to preaching legitimate preaching about Jesus coming back everybody wants to know about the end and rightly so I do don't you I don't mean to, to be critical of people you know in the way that I'm saying it I want to know about the end as well Well, Jesus was asked by his disciples, saying, what's the sign of your coming? What what are the signs of the end and the signs of your coming? And Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. This is verse 6. You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Notice he said, don't be concerned when you hear about wars. Now, that's usually where people get concerned, isn't it? Most people aren't concerned until war starts or the threat of war comes. But he says, you're going to hear about these things. He said, don't be, don't be troubled because that's not the end. But there are things related to the end regarding that. Verse 7, for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. This really doesn't mean country against country. Nation is the word ethnos and it's talking about race. It's talking about race wars more than it is country wars. Kingdom is talking about dynasty. and that could include governments. That it could include uh, uh, nations, as we think, but, uh, but not exclusively so. For nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences, that's disease, and earthquakes in diverse places. Now, notice what Jesus said. Uh, well, verse 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows. In other words, the signs that he gave, he says, you're going to hear about wars and rumors of wars. So the wars in and of themselves or the rumors of wars in and of themselves is not the sign of the end. But the wars and rumors of wars along with the other things are. In other words, he's saying there are going to be a lot of wars and a lot of rumors of wars before the end comes. So don't let that shake you. But when you see the wars plus the other stuff. Then you're going to know that's the beginning of sorrows. Well, what's the other stuff he's talking about? Well, he's talking about race wars or race riots. Anybody aware of anything going on in the country regarding race? And it seemed like things would get better as we go, wouldn't it? I mean, isn't that what everybody says that it's supposed to be? That's not the way it's going. Almost like the Bible's true, huh? Kingdoms shall rise against kingdoms. Anybody know of any wars or anything, any skirmishes going on in other parts of the world? A lot of stuff going on in the Middle East, aren't there? Notice it says famines. Are you aware of the famines that are in the earth? There is a Famine Watch website. That if you go online, you'll see. And it puts it in red. red um, uh, it colors the parts of the world that are in famine in red. The map looks like it's bleeding to death. We don't know and think about it too much. Because we can go to the grocery stores and and, you know... Have our pick of five or ten different things. You know brands of whatever item we want. But that's not the way the rest of the world lives folks. And we've got to be careful that we don't get deceived. Or get uh, sucked into thinking that it's not. Uh, it's not the way the Bible says that it is. Because we haven't touched on it yet. Although there are a lot of things that we're seeing reports on. Where it's coming to us too. There shall be famines. And pestilences. And pestilences. Anybody heard anything about the Ebola virus that's going on out there? Again, it hadn't affected us much, but it's out there. There are thousands of people that have been killed from it already, and some of the scientists are saying it very possibly could go airborne. We don't know what's going to happen. By the way, that was cured once. You know that, don't you? The Ebola virus, it's not the first time it's come around. It was cured once. It was, we were assured, oh, that's not a problem anymore. Finally, the last thing he says is earthquakes in diverse places. Well, certainly that hadn't yet come to pass, huh? Folks, these are the the daily headlines. What Jesus just said that we should look for are the daily headlines. Now, what's interesting, and hold your finger here. We're going to come back to it for just a second. But turn with me over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Notice Paul talks about, by the Holy Ghost, Paul talks about signs of the ends too. But he doesn't talk about things. He doesn't talk about events. He talks about people. He starts off in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, this know also that in the last days, well, that would be the end times, wouldn't it? perilous times shall come the word perilous one of the meanings of the word perilous it means troublesome and and other things as well it means dangerous but one of the the root meanings of the word is strength reducing times in other words he's saying you're going to have to watch out because in the last days there is a an, uh, an increased or intensified attempt of the devil to sap your strength as a believer This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. It goes down through the list of things. Now, I told you to hold your finger in Matthew chapter 24. Because it would seem like, well, you know, Paul and Jesus are kind of on different pages here. Because when Jesus was asked about signs of the times, he talked about wars. He talked about race riots. He talked about pestilences and famines and earthquakes and stuff like that. Why would Paul be instructed by the Holy Ghost to talk about something different? Why wouldn't he say, and remember the Gospels were were out there. Matthew's Gospel was well read and well um, received when Paul was writing his letters. So he could have said, well, remember Matthew 24. Remember what Jesus said about the end. But he doesn't. He talks about what the Holy Ghost has given him. Now back to Matthew chapter 24. Notice the first thing Jesus says regarding his answer to the question, what are the signs of your coming and when are the end times going to be? He says in verse, what is it, verse 4, Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. In other words, what most people seem to overlook in Matthew 24 is the first thing that he said would be a sign of the end was deception. Yeah, there are going to be events, there are going to be earthquakes, there are going to be famines, there are going to be other stuff, but deception is what you're going to need to watch out for. Well, that's why Paul writes about men. Now, what deception is he talking about? Verse 5, he said, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. Many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Can I ask you a question? Are any of you subject to following somebody that stands up and says, I'm Jesus? Is that going to kid anybody? Is that going to get any believer that you know of? Are you following where I'm going with this? Why in the world should we worry about somebody standing up and saying, Hey, forget about that Jesus is the Bible. I'm him. Really? Who's going to be sucked off by that? That's not what he means. That's not what he means. Christ is identified in Scripture as the way to God. God's way of salvation. What he's saying is there are going to be many that stand up and preach a different way of salvation. A different way to God. And that will deceive a lot of people. Now let me ask you this. Are you going to be deceived by somebody standing up and saying, Well, I'm Jesus or I'm the new way to God or I've got some other way other than the blood of Jesus to get there. Is that going to take you in? Well, then the devil's smart enough to know that if he's going to pull away believers, and that's who Jesus is talking to. That's who Paul's writing to. The devil's smart enough to know that if he's going to pull away believers, he's going to have to disguise it as something that we wouldn't recognize, wouldn't he? I mean, how many times does the devil come up and tempt you and say, I want to tempt you with this. It'll be a lot of fun, but it'll destroy you. Come follow me. Anybody tempted with things like that? Of course not. He hides the destruction part. He hides the results. He just shows you the fun. Here's what you really want to do. Come on, do this. Don't worry about tomorrow. Hey, First John 1 nine. So the devil's smart enough to know that if he's going to deceive people. And Jesus said take heed that you be not deceived. Jesus is talking to guys that, that would be in the same kind of position as you and me. People that have seen him face to face. How would they be deceived if somebody showed up and says I'm really him. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about people preaching a different way to God. In other words a form of religion that's error. Now back to First Timothy. What is it? Second Timothy chapter three. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness. Please notice that phrase, having a form of godliness. But denying the power thereof. From such turn away. That phrase in verse 5. Having a form of godliness. Means people will put this off as okay with God. What we're doing. The way we're acting. It's okay with God. It may not be the religion. Or the the church that you grew up with. It may not be that old time religion. You know those old stodgy folks. that, That we tried to get away from as kids. And whatever the case might be. But this is, this is our way to worship God, that there's no power in it. Now, let me define some of these terms. Lovers of uh, self, we talked about that a little bit last week. We touched on it last week. Um, I, I don't want to go into it any further. If you weren't here, you, it might be worth getting it or not, whatever. Um, lovers of self just simply means selfish and self-centered. Now, people have always been selfish. He's got to be talking about something more than just normal selfishness. When has man not been selfish? So he's got to be talking about something out of the ordinary, doesn't he? Otherwise, why would the last days be uh, typified or identified by this lovers of own self if it's the normal way that people have always operated? He's got to be talking about something else. He's talking about a self-centeredness, folks. He's talking about a dependence, a self-dependence that's unlike anything that is common to man. He goes further and he says covetous. Covetous means lovers of gold specifically. But it, goes, it follows the, the idea that people are entitled to have something that belongs to somebody else. Do you know what this uh, social justice thing in America is all about? It's about covetousness. It's about others having things that you don't have and you deserve it just as much as them. It's covetousness. uh, Occupy Wall Street, the thing that happened a couple of years back, covetousness. Now, you can couch it in in caring about the little guy. You can make it seem and appear to be something that it's not. But it has nothing to do with caring about the little guy. It's about caring about me. What's wrong with with somebody having something they earned and worked for? Nothing unless you think you're entitled to it instead of them. And see, folks, that's what covetousness is all about. Covetousness is about taking something from somebody for yourself. That's why the Bible warns against it. The Next thing he mentions is boasters, braggers. Boy, that's certainly true in this, in this day and age. Proud means arrogant. Blasphemies means to speak bitter words. You know, it's one thing for people to, um, uh, to deny Or reject on their own the gospel. It used to be that people didn't stand up and and make a defense for rejecting the gospel. They just made their own decisions and went on about their lives. But now it's a matter of bitter words spoken. I I remember uh, not too long ago somebody was uh, one of these TV award shows. I don't know what it was. I didn't see it. I just read the report of it. One of these TV award shows. uh, Somebody received the award. So they stood there and said, "Um, you know. Most people come up, or a lot of people come up, and after they receive a reward, they said, I want to thank Jesus. And this individual said, Jesus Christ is the last person that had anything to do with me receiving this reward. Well, that was certainly necessary, huh? Next thing on the list is disobedient to parents. Folks, we're raising, we have raised a generation of, of kids and are raising a generation of kids that refuse to obey their parents. And it looks to me like a lot of it is represented in TV. TV has taught kids to be rebellious to their parents. It's accepted now. If you don't have a smart mouth kid, it's almost like your kid is backwards. Unthankful, that means ungrateful. Unholy is an interesting word because it does not just mean wicked. It means irreverent. There's a real irreverence in the world today. It also carries the meaning of irreligious, meaning an anti-religion position, not just making your own choice like I was talking about before, but taking a stand for why church and things of God are wrong. Without natural affection, I mentioned this last week, I think, too. A lot of people associate this with homosexuality, and that would certainly be part of it. But it literally means um, lacking love for family. It's talking about the breakdown of the family. Truce breakers. It means denying agreements. You know, this thing uh, that's going on between Hamas and Israel is so interesting to me because they keep coming up with, the world keeps coming up with the idea that we need a truce, we need a truce. What good is a truce going to do? Do you know what the word ceasefire means in Arabic? It means rearm. <laughs> Honest to goodness, it's the truth. So when the world, when Hamas and terrorist groups and so forth are saying, oh yeah, ceasefire, ceasefire, that just means we're rearming. But it's not just on a national scale, it's on a a personal scale too. People don't make agreements and then deny they ever made them. False accusers mean slanderers. How many people are falsely accused in this world today? It's almost like... If if something's going on that you don't like, then just make an accusation against somebody. Doesn't matter if there's any basis in truth. There's no, there's no shame. There's no uh, interest on the part of so many people to look themselves in the mirror and be proud of who they see. They're just willing to say or do anything. Incontinent, that means uh, uh, without self-control, undisciplined. Fierce means savage. Boy, these um, uh, beheading videos have sure gotten the world's attention, haven't they? despisers of those that are good you know it's interesting despisers of those that are good reminds me of something jesus said to the disciples jesus in in the last night that he was talking to his disciples this is john uh, it's somewhere in the in his last address so it'd be john 14 15 16 somewhere in there jesus said um, if they if i had not come and spoken the words to the world that i did they wouldn't have had any sin if i didn't do the works then they wouldn't have been held accountable. But now they don't have any cloak or any covering for their sin. And then he said this. He said, But they hated not only the Father, but they hated me for the words that I spoke and the, and the things that I did, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken in the Old Testament, spoken in Scripture. They hated me without a cause. Those people that reject God and reject the things of God hate without any good reason. It may be turned on you, And you may be wondering, what in the world did I do to cause this person to hate me? It's not about you. It's about their hatred of God. It's about their rebellion against God. Despisers of those that do good. It's not enough for the world to live and let live, so to speak. They've got to take a position against anybody that's doing good. I guess the reason for that is because it shows up the the evil that they're involved in. They don't want any reminder of that. Finally verse 4. It says traitors. The word traitors. Means betrayers. Heady. Heady is an interesting word. Because it means falling through recklessness. Look how reckless the world is. People make plans without thinking them through anymore. High minded. High minded is also an interesting word. Because it does not just mean. Thinking a lot of yourself. It means does mean conceited, but it also carries the idea of idolatry. Because it's self-reliance, it's saying, I don't need God, I'll do it on my own. You know, this, um, Beth and I were talking about this not too long ago. Uh, it's a common thing among people, particularly young people, to just say, well, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out, I'll work it out. Well, what does that really mean? I mean, if they're not looking to the Word of God for wisdom, then what they're saying is, I don't need any help. I'll do it on my own. That's a dangerous place, folks. Because nobody can do it on their own. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Well, there's a lot of places you could go with that. having a form of godliness. Now notice that it says this kind of behavior will be evident and prevalent in the church and people will say it's okay. I haven't sinned. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Now he's writing to Christians. He's writing to Timothy for the purpose of teaching the church. He's saying to turn away from people like that. There will be people like that among you. Turn away from them. Now turn back did First Timothy chapter, 3, or chapter 4. First Timothy chapter 4. Here's another thing that Paul in the first letter that he wrote to Timothy had to say about the end times. And again, he talks about people. The Holy Ghost speaks specifically to Paul about end time stuff, end time information relating to the behavior of people and not events. He didn't say, now look for this sign in the sky or look for this world event to take place. When this happens, boy, you know you're right on the edge. No, he talks about people. And notice what he says, First Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. The word expressly means specifically, distinctly, and clearly. Here's specifically and clearly what the Holy Ghost is saying. The Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, that'd be the last days, some shall depart from the faith. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. You know, one of the things that, uh, that will be one of the, the, um, the strength-reducing aspects of the last days is the surprise or the, the impact that it has upon us when people we thought were solid turn away. Now, I was surprised by something here recently. And, and I, you shouldn't be surprised. You should, be, you know, should and, and uh, you would expect to be uh, ready for anything and whatever. But, boy... Somebody turned away here recently that just knocked me for a loop. Didn't affect me spiritually. Or didn't, you know, didn't impact my spiritual walk with God or anything like that. That's not what I mean. But man, it felt like it was kicked in the stomach. Some shall depart from the faith. Now, what are they going to do? Giving heed to seducing spirits. Let me read this to you from the, um, I think it's Weiss translation. This be constantly knowing that in the last diff- days, difficult times will set in. For men shall be fond of themselves, fond of money. Wait a minute, I've got the wrong... I'm still over in Second Timothy, I'm sorry. Hold on. Computer error. Couldn't it be me? Okay, here it is. But the Spirit says expressly that in the last strategic, epical de- periods of time, Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to spirits that lead one into error. I like that. That lead one into error and the teaching of demons, doing this to the hypocrisy of liars. Now, back to the, the King James, where he's talking about giving heed to seducing spirits. He's talking about teachings that lead you into error. We don't think of wrong teaching as being a seducing spirit, do we? But it is. And why would it be a seduction. To be led into error. Because it's something you want to hear. Or something you want to think. Or something you want to believe. Notice it says. By giving heed to seducing spirits. And doctrines of devils. The word doctrines just simply means teachings. Now there's. uh, The the preposition here is, is a little bit vague. Because there's no way to really tell. If it means teachings from devils. Or teachings about devils. And and my thinking is the fact that it's vague means that it could be either one. How many times do you see people get caught up in in teachings about devil and they become so devil conscious that their spiritual walk just goes down the tubes? You saw this in the 70s, if any of you are old enough to remember back then. In the 70s, there was this teaching about uh, demons and devils and all this kind of stuff, and it, it just kind of swept through the church. And as a result, it caused a lot of people to get off track because people started looking for devils under every rock. Some teaching was that every Christian has a devil and needs the devil cast out of you and and stuff like that. It it had a tremendous negative impact on the body of Christ. Well, the devil's smart enough to know if something worked once, it'll work again. And so you'll see this stuff crop up. Usually the same things come around every 20 or 25 years or so. So we're due for another round of it. So again, now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits, doctrines that lead to error, and doctrines or teachings of devil. How are they going to do this? Verse 2, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now, what is hypocrisy? Isn't hypocrisy saying one thing but doing another? So Paul is saying by the Holy Ghost, and he says specifically, the Holy Ghost has said this specifically, distinctly, clearly, that this is what it's going to be like in the last days. In other words, church, the church worldwide, or as a whole, is not necessarily going to be a safe haven. That's why it's important for you to know the truth for you. Don't take somebody's word for it just because you think they're a great preacher. Don't take my word for anything. You check it out in the word for yourself. He's talking about it in the church. He's not talking about it in the world. We know the world's nuts. We know the world's dishonest. We know the world can't be trusted in what they say. I mean, some of the things that are said so blatantly now in, in a public forum are just crazy to me. We just found out the other day from the president's speech that ISIS is not Islamic. <laughs> well, I must have misunderstood what was being said. It must have been as is," meaning Amish state, right? It's crazy. Nancy Pelosi said, don't, don't forget Islam means peace. <laughs> okay. We should pass a law to kill all the idiots. But then that cut down on my crowd a little bit too, I think. <laughs> Notice it says, speaking lies and hypocrisy. Saying one thing but doing another. Speaking lies and hypocrisy. What lies, what hypocritical lies are they going to speak? He mentions two areas, two categories. Lies concerning marriage and lies concerning food. Now where it says forbidding to marry. That's kind of tough. It's, it's not a bad translation. It's accurate. But it's not all inclusive. It means more than just forbidding. We think of forbidding. It means we've got to watch out in the last days. For people that stand up and say. You shouldn't get married. Marriage is wrong. That's not what it means. It could go that far. I mean it would certainly be a, 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 an inclusive term. That would include somebody that did that. Or said that. But that's really not what it means. The word forbidding. Has more to do with devaluing, rejecting the value of. So the stuff that's going around uh, going on in our country about redefining marriage, not between a man and a woman—that's this. It's devaluing marriage. It's trying to change it. It's, it's devaluing marriage from a standpoint of lifestyle. Well, I'm married, but I don't have to be faithful to my wife. That's this. For somebody to stand up and say, "Well, I'm okay." God knows my heart. That's this. It's not necessarily somebody coming out and standing in a pulpit and preaching, it's okay to go commit adultery. Not too many people would fall for that. A lot of people would join up for it, I guess. But we would recognize that that's contrary to the Bible, wouldn't we? Folks, the devil's smart enough to work in a way that's going to be effective. He's done so all this time, uh, up to this time, hadn't he? He's not going to change his tactics. So forbidding to marry really means the devaluing of marriage. That would include gay marriage. It would include unfaithfulness in marriage. It would include a whole number of things, a whole host of things. The second area that he talks about, hypocritical, lying, hypocritical lying, is that he said to abstain from meats. In other words, watch out for the food police. To abstain from each which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them which b- believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused to be re- if it be received with thanksgiving. Now folks, just as a little side note, just as a thought here, this is just my idea, just a, a surmising of mine because I don't have a crystal ball, I can't read the future. But if famines are a part of the, the, the package for the end, day, end times, there are, even in our country, ranchers and farmers well ranchers that are disposing of their their herds in whatever way they can selling off whatever they can but other in other cases just slaughtering what they have because it's costing them too much to get the water and the 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 feed and stuff like that to take care of them if there are food shortages if there are meat shortages, you're going to have a lot of people standing up, it's probably going to be government related, but you're going to have a lot of the church because they don't know what the Bible says, they don't know who they are in Christ, they don't know to who to listen to. You're going to have a lot of things being said to try to steer people away from things that's going to look like it's just the way we need to do it for a while. You're going to have some people that take, and and you see a lot of it already. I mean, how many restaurants can you find now that are just vegan restaurants? I've always wanted to walk into one of those places wearing a eat beef (laughs) t-shirt. See what happens, you know? I mean, because the idea is not, well, I, I just choose not to eat meat. It's like, Oh, you're a horrible person. You're killing the planet. Like the cows is what the planet's for. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. By the way, you got, I, I've had people throughout the, the history of the church, I've had people trying to live under the Old Testament law, where you can't eat shellfish, you can't do this, and that, and the other. And I've i been in, in, I remember one situation, I wasn't aware of, of their Uh, position if I had been I wouldn't have ordered what I did but I got shrimp and man I got a shrimp lecture (laughs) I got a lecture about eating shrimp and how it's against the the Old Testament and all this kind of stuff and I said well what about Peter's vision she said what Peter's vision (laughs) I said well the Bible says in Acts 10 that Peter had a vision and he saw a sheet coming down being held by the four corners and it had all manners of beasts in it, both clean and unclean. That would be shrimp too, wouldn't it? And the Lord said, "Rise and eat." And Peter said, "No, not so, Lord. Nothing unclean's ever touched my lips." And Jesus said, "Don't call unclean what I have cleansed." What about that? Well, that stopped her for about a half a second, and she went back to her shrimp lecture. Now, like I said, had I known up front, I wouldn't have done anything that offended her. But you get Christians that get taken up with this stuff too. You get Christians that that are, uh, and a lot of preachers or Christian um, business people will promote these diets and stuff like that. And I I don't care what they are. It doesn't matter to me. I'm not preaching for or against anything in this case. But I see a lot of people that, that believe in their Christian diet more than they do the Bible. That's a form of deception, folks. Now, now, let's define our terms. What is deception? Deception means a condition whereby you don't know you're being deceived. If you were able to put your finger on what deception was in every case, it'd be easy to avoid. If deception came with a red ribbon tied around it, we'd know to look for that ribbon, right? Right? But deception is the condition where you don't know you're being deceived. Where you've talked yourself into or uh, conditioned yourself to believe that you're okay even though you're doing something that's contrary to the word. There's a lot of deception in the body of Christ. And I'm not just talking about coming from the pulpit. I'm talking about people coming up with their own ideas and their own standards. Now you may not like this kind of preaching and, and, and that's okay. I've got a verse for you. Notice verse 4. It says, For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For, here's why, For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Sanctified means made clean, separated unto God. What used to be unclean under the old covenant is not clean. That doesn't mean everything is equally healthy for you. The Old Testament talks about not eating pigs. I saw somebody from a scientific standpoint say that if you eat a pig you'll look like a pig well I don't want to look like a pig so I eat in moderation as I think everybody ought to do but I'm not going to deny myself bacon (laughs) because somebody's got a wrong idea about food God made bacon (laughs) I am sure of that For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. Now notice verse 6. I said I had a verse for you. Here it is. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things. Thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. I'm just doing my job. (laughs) Now what's the point here folks? The point is to avoid deception. Paul saying here's signs of the ends. Avoid deception. Now let's go back to seducing spirits for a minute. Because... Uh, the word seduce, you know, people usually put a sexual connotation on that. And, and, uh, and, and I think a lot of times we, we we don't think things through the way that we should and understand what the Bible is saying. There are certain areas where I cannot be seduced. The devil can't tempt me with drugs. I have no desire for drugs. There's no... There's no uh, There's not even the idea that if somebody came up and said, Yeah, but you don't know how good you feel if you take this. I don't care. I don't need it. I don't want it. I don't want to risk what it would do to my body. I don't need it. Don't care. Just don't care. I can't be tempted with drugs. Now, the reason I can't be tempted with drugs is because the position that I've taken in the things that I think and the things that I believe. Now, somebody else might be able to be seduced with drugs because maybe they've got a history of it or uh, something in their, their past use or, or whatever the case might be. Their thinking is different than my thinking. Their believing is different than not my believing. So whereas I can't be seduced or tempted by drugs, maybe they can be. Now, there's another area in my life where I might be able to be tempted into wrongdoing, into sin, where they couldn't be tempted or wouldn't be. Look with me over to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Remember that Paul said, we looked at this last week, and and I hope you know the Bible well enough to know this without going back to it. Paul said in, uh, in the first verses that we looked at in 2 Timothy... Where he said in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be all these different things. He said from such turn away. Having these people have a form of godliness. But deny the power thereof. He said from such turn away. He's, he goes on to say. And I think we read it last week. We did it in this time. He said for these are the types of people. That creep into the houses. Where women are. He calls them silly women. Laden with diverse sins. That are taken captive at their will. At the will of the person that's, that's doing the deceiving. Now, I made this statement last week and I think it bears repetition in this respect. Paul's not just going to single out women. Paul's not a woman hater. He's writing by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. He couldn't be writing against women because the Holy Ghost is not against women. So when he talks about that, he's using just an example that they would understand. He's not saying women are more susceptible to being deceived than men are. Although the Bible does say that Eve was deceived by the devil and, and Adam wasn't. Was that just a one-time event? Was that just a, is that a principle? I don't know. I wouldn't be stupid enough to say if I did not know. It'd get me in a lot of trouble. But if women are susceptible to being taken in by deception because they're laden down or burdened down with different sins, why would it be any different for man? In other words, what he's saying is very simple to this. Here's the principle to get. Not, it's not a principle of man versus woman. Here's the principle, and that is, if you don't live and walk in fellowship with God, you're going to be susceptible to being deceived. The more the devil is able to get a hook in you with little stuff, little sins, then the more likely he is to be able to, to, to take you in with the bigger stuff. It's being burdened down with diverse sins, different lusts and different sins. Giving in to the lust of the flesh. Those are the things that make you open to being deceived. Why? Because you're justifying the little stuff that you know you're doing wrong. Are you with me? With that in mind, notice what James says. James says in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 13. Well, let's back up a little bit. Back up to verse 12. He said, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Now, the word temptation means test, trial, and affliction. It does not just mean temptation of sin. It means tough times. Now sometimes tough times are caused by the temptation of sin. But not always. Sometimes tough times can be uh, encountered because you're standing in faith for something. You're fighting the good fight of faith, right? Sometimes the tough times come because you're standing on the word. So the Bible is talking about uh, enduring no matter what the case is. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation for when he is tried, he shall receive a crown of life. In other words, there's always a reward for overcoming temptation. There's always a reward for overcoming tough times, uh, the fight of faith or whatever the case is. There's always a reward for sticking to it and holding fast to the word. Always. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. See, the devil always tries to tell you what you're going to get out of disobeying God. Let me tell you what you're going to get out of obeying him. A reward. For when he is tried, he shall receive a crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. That's not just talking about in heaven. I don't have any doubt that we'll receive rewards for heaven in, uh, in heaven for it too. But it's not just talking about rewards in heaven. It's talking about rewards here too. Verse 13, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. The word tempted means test. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Some people will say, no temptation or no test is from God. That is absolutely wrong. What about Abraham when he was instructed by the Lord to offer Isaac as a sacrifice? God didn't tell him to kill him. But what about when God said to Abraham, go offer Isaac as a sacrifice unto the Lord? Is that not a test? In that sense, is it not a temptation? Well, sure it was. Notice it doesn't say God doesn't test or God doesn't tempt any man. It says God doesn't tempt a man with evil. Folks, I would submit to you that every word of God is a test. Every scripture is a test. The Bible says bring your tithes into the storehouse. That's a test. Because your flesh doesn't want to do it. You're going to have to decide, am I going to do what the Bible says because the Bible says to do it and the Bible says God will reward me, or am I going to do what I want to do and what my flesh says and what my bank book says I can afford I have never yet seen it work for somebody that took a position to pray, Lord, give me enough money and then I'll tithe. It doesn't work that way. Because the scripture to tithe is a test. I'm just using that as an example, folks. The scripture to walk in love is a test. I'm not trying to get your money. I'm just trying to tell you this is how the word works. When the Bible says walk in love, when the Bible says forgive, as God and as Christ uh, has forgiven us, That's a test. Because if you're being ugly to me, I don't want to forgive. I want you to get what's what's coming to you. We all do, right? Well, that's the desire of the flesh. What are we going to do? You are faced with a test of whether or not you're going to do what the Bible says and walk in love and choose to forgive because God forgave you, because the love of God is shed abroad in your heart, and you have the right and and the obligation to forgive even before somebody asks for it or deserves it. It's a test. Every scripture is a test. So the, where, where some people say. God never tests or tempts anybody. That's just a lie. The Bible is filled with tests. The difference is this. God never tests or tempts a man with evil. Now, let me give you another example. The Bible says Jesus was led of the Holy Ghost into the wilderness. And for 40 days he went without food. Do you know what that was? That was a test. The circumstance was a test. It was not an evil circumstance. See, some people will turn this around and say, well, everything that happens in is of God. No, sickness is not of God because God never tempts a man with evil. Well, what's evil? Well, the Bible identifies evil as the work of the devil. Everything that kills, steals, and destroys. God doesn't test you with something that will kill, steal, or destroy, but he will test you with the word. He will bring you into hard places. It was, a, it was a, a great shock to me to find out the Holy Ghost is the one that led Jesus into the wilderness. And after 40 days, that's where Jesus was tempted of the devil. Because I don't want the Holy Ghost leading me into wildernesses. How many of you do? If so, just come up and we'll make a line and start praying for people. Lord, you lead them into the worst wilderness they've ever imagined. Nobody wants that. But it's sometimes necessary. Because in the wilderness is where we often find out Who we are and the strength of God In us That you can't find out when you're just floating down The life on flowery beds of ease We used to have a Well I don't know where the saying came from We would hear it always When we'd be working out Or we'd be practicing sports And stuff like that Coaches would always scream at us No pain no gain I hated that Cause I'm all for the gain. But I don't want the pain. Well that's the way we are in life. Isn't it? I want to be able to grow in the things of God. Without ever suffering any difficulty. The problem with that is. The Bible says the trying of your faith works patience. And patience is necessary for you to come out on top. Well Lord I want patience. I just don't want the trying of my faith. So work it out. So that I can have patience. Without having to go through hard places. I mean all things are possible with God. It's not the way it works, folks. So the issue is this, where it says, let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. It does not mean that he's not talking about tests and trials and things related to the word of God or God's plan for your life. It says God doesn't tempt a man with evil. It's saying very simply this. Don't say when you're in a hard place where the devil is bringing attacks against you that God's behind this. Don't say that the sickness is trying to attach itself to your body is from God. Don't say that the, 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 the lack of finances that you may be enduring and experiencing right now is because God's behind this and trying to teach you something. No, no, no. God taught you through the word. He told you that you're going to have hard places and then if you hold steady through the hard places, you'll come out on top. He just taught you. The word may be, the, uh, the, your experience may be walking through that instruction, but God doesn't teach you through the trouble. He teaches you through his word. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16. It says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine. That means teaching. And for instruction. And for reproof. That means chastising. In righteousness. In other words the only way God teaches you is through his word. The only way he instructs you is through his word. The only way he chastises you. The ones that God loves he chastises. The scripture says. That comes one and only one way. And that's through his word. Not through trouble. So here James is saying. Let no man say when he's tempted I'm tempted of God. He's not talking about the tests that come from acting on the word. Or standing on the word. He's saying. Talking about being tempted of evil. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempts he any man with evil. God doesn't use evil. I've always been amused with people say well God put this sickness on me. I asked one guy one time I said well where did he get it? There's none in heaven. Sickness doesn't belong to God. It wasn't part of the earth that he created. There was no sickness at the end of the first six days of creation when he looked at it and said it's very good. Which by the way God considers the condition of no evil, no presence of evil, no presence of sickness to be very good. Well, since God never changes, then that's a condition that he would consider in your body and in your life to be very good. There was no lack. There was no unfruitful circumstance, tree, bush, whatever, on the face of the earth. God looked at that and said, that's very good. That's what he still considers to be very good in your life. Because he never changes. Are you out there? Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God for, because... God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts He any man. But, when, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. In other words, whatever your weak spot is, that's where you ought to shore up your defenses. If, if I had an experience with drug use in my past and drugs was an area that I still am tempted to, uh, uh, to stumble and fall, then that ought to be an area where I am shoring up and getting ready knowing the devil is going to t- attack my weak spot. You need to know yourself well enough to know what your weak spots are. Why? Because if he causes you to stumble, if he entangles you with sin in any way whatsoever, then he'll, then you are open to deception in other areas. Now, generally what people think is generally people have the idea that, well, you know, what I'm doing is not too bad. I, I know I should be doing better and I shouldn't be doing this or shouldn't be doing that or I should be doing this instead but God still loves me. Yeah, He does. But that doesn't keep you from being entangled with the desires of your flesh and it does not keep the door of deception from being opened in your life. In other words, what I'm saying to you is this, folks. One of the signs of the end is that people, Christians, won't take care of the things that they need to take care of when they're small and as a result they get pulled off into bigger areas of deception. So many times people, whether it's through their youth or their immaturity or whatever, they want to see how close to the edge they can get. Well, imagine that. Imagine you're walking on the side of a mountain and there's a real small trail. And on one side, off to the edge there, it's a real narrow trail. Off to the edge there is a 500-foot drop. How many of you would say, Gee, I wonder how close I can get to the edge without falling? Everybody I know would be hugging the wall. Making sure we stay as far away from it as possible. That's exactly the attitude we ought to have towards sin. Big or little. Because what's happened is so many people have taken the attitude towards sin. Well, I wonder how close I can get to this without falling in. And then they fell in. Never intended to. Never meant to. But it always started with little stuff. Folks, I want you to understand people that have destroyed their lives through, through drinking and alcohol and, and, and had affairs that cost them their marriages and stuff like that. It all started with one simple thought. Every bit of it. No, the biggest sin, the biggest commission of sin you can imagine or have ever heard of, it all started the same way with one thought. And that thought was yielded to and eventually acted on and it brought great destruction How many people do you know that have been in those times of tremendous destruction where their lives were torn up where anybody intended for that to be the end? They intended for that to be the result of that first action they took. Nobody. If the devil showed up, it's the same way to say what we said earlier. If the devil showed up and said, okay, I want you to take this drug but now taking this drug will make you feel super good but it will destroy your life. You will die young. Is anybody going to fall for that? Well, a lot less will than, than what do otherwise, wouldn't they? Well, the devil doesn't have warning labels on his stuff. But God's giving you the warning label for all of the devil's stuff. So why don't we heed the warnings? Well, in most cases, it's not a matter of open rebellion. It's that we didn't shore up in our weak spots. And the devil knows your weak spot. If you don't take care to close the gap in the wall, so to speak, in the area of your flesh that you're the weakest, the devil will make sure to push through the wall. One thing you say about the devil, I'm not a fan of the devil, but one thing you say about him, he knows his job. And he doesn't give up on it. He perseveres. If Christians would have the same perseverance that the devil does, the church would be stronger than you can imagine. Let no man say when he's tempted, "I'm tempted of the devil," or "tempted of God." For God cannot tempt any man with evil. Neither is God tempted with evil. God will never use anything destructive against you. That's always the devil. Verse fifteen. Then every man is. Verse fourteen. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. That means yours are going to be different than mine, and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. In other words, the lust is the original thought, the original desire. If it's not acted on, it doesn't bring forth sin. But once it does, once it is acted on, then it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. In other words, James is saying, be smart enough to know this is how it works. Be smart enough to know this is how it works. Now, honestly, I didn't really come into this service with the intent of, of going this way, going this direction. But we're here, so might as well deal with it. Since we are here, I'm not here trying to expose people's sin. I remember a story of John Lake. John Lake was talking about one way that God started using him and he said, uh, he said, it came to the place where everybody that I looked at, I knew what the sin of their heart was. He said, that, that lasted for a couple of days. And I prayed, Lord, take that away from me. I I, don't, I can't handle that. I, I've always been impressed by that story. I don't want to know what your sins are. It would affect the way that I looked at you. It would affect the way I preached to you. I don't want to know. There are things that the Lord shows me from time to time. and. That's up to him. There must be a reason I need to know. But outside of that, I'm not interested in, 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 in confronting or exposing somebody's sin. That's not the way. God doesn't do that. Why should anybody else? Well, what should we do? Well, here's what I'm after. I'm after you being aware that because we're in the last days, because these are perilous times, Because these are strength-reducing times. You need to realize that every little thing the devil tries to get you to trip and stumble over is designed to sap your spiritual strength. And there's never been a time in the history of the world that the church needed more spiritual strength than now. Never. You know, it's an interesting thing because Jesus talked about... uh, salvation he talked about a relationship with god through him and he said no man can take you out of my hand but he didn't say nobody would leave he said no man can take you out of my hand well what can take somebody out of the hand of god and i'm not just talking about salvation or going to heaven or hell uh which by the way first timothy chapter three where it says uh spirit speaks expressly that some shall depart from the faith that does not mean they'll lose their salvation certainly something could progress to that point But that's not what it means. It means depart from the Christian life. They might depart from the Christian life and live in the manner that the Bible talks about in deception and still make heaven. But Paul still said that a sign of the end was going to be deception in the church. So I'm not talking about the difference in heaven and hell. I assume you've already come to that place. Not too many unsaved people want to hang around here. So I know, my you know, pretty well know my crowd. What I'm talking about is shoring up the wall. The Old Testament proverb says that it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. You know why it's the little foxes that spoil the vine? Because they're the ones that are small enough to get through the fence. It's the little things that will hold you back. Paul said in, in uh, well, I believe Paul was the writer of the book of Hebrews. He said um, in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, he said, Wherefore, let us lay aside all the, the things that hinder us, the sins and the weights that hinder us, and run after the things of God. Notice he said it wasn't just sins, but it's also weights. We need to be a people in these last days that hold our guard up against sin and things that hinder us or deter us from the things of God. There's stuff that we do that just takes time away that we could be spending with the Lord or in the Word. So many times people think, well, I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to get in the Word. All they'd have to do is give up, you know, whatever, some little stupid other things that they're doing and use that time instead. There's always time to find. Well, that wouldn't be, I mean, let's say it's watching TV. I, I don't have time to, to, uh, to spend time with the Lord, but I always watch my shows. Well, that doesn't mean TV is a sin, but it certainly does mean it's a weight that hinders you from running your race with God. It hinders you from from gaining and obtaining the spiritual strength that God intended for you to have and that Jesus died for you to possess. Do you understand what I'm saying? I can't get past the fact that Paul kept talking by the Holy Ghost again and again and again that the signs of the end that he identified were people. People the actions, the behavior, the lifestyle of people. Bible says that in the end, when Jesus comes back, he's coming back for a glorious church. What's going to make the church glorious? If Paul is saying, if Paul is telling the truth about the church, uh, this, the behavior of people and, and wrong behavior and stuff like that being so much a part of the last days, then how in the world can Jesus be coming back for a glorious church? Because even though those things that we've talked about and that Paul wrote to us about. Are signs of the end. Even though deception is going to be a major sign of the end. There are going to be some that heed the warning. And pursue the things of God instead. And manifest the glory of God in the earth. And that's the church Jesus is coming back for. Now that might raise some questions. People might say. Well what does that mean Pastor Mike? Does that mean God's going to come back for the people that are living right. And leave after the rapture of the people that aren't living right. No. that's that's contrary to the character and the nature of God. God's not going to take part of his family and leave the rest of his family here. He's going to take them all. But from God's perspective, he looks at those that are following him and calls that the whole group. But whether you are in that segment depends on you. They're going to, you know, one of the funniest things in the rapture, I know it's going to be quick and so I'm not sure exactly how it's going to happen, but there are a lot of people that don't believe in the rapture that are going to be taken up. <laughs> and so we're, when we're changed in midair, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, as the scripture says, there's going to be a lot of people who say, well, I never thought this would happen. Well, they're wrong thinking, they're wrong believing, don't, won't keep the rapture from taking place. Nowhere does the Bible say those that believe in the rapture will be raptured. It says Jesus is coming back for his church. So the key is to be part of the family of God. Amen. But we've got a responsibility. We could preach this from a living right standpoint, live right or else. But folks, that never works. Live right or else never works in the church. But I tell you what's worked for me, the desire to walk in fellowship with the Lord. The reward of walking in fellowship. Jesus said if you abide in me and my words abide in you. That's fellowship by the way. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. You shall ask what you will. And it shall be done unto you by my Father which is in heaven. There's nothing that compares to walking in fellowship with God. It's time for us to strip away the things that hold us back. Amen. Let's pray. Father thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the power that we have to live right. Lord, you know my situation. I grew up in a church that told me that do right and don't do wrong and don't do this and don't do that and don't do the other. But they never told us the power that was available to us in Christ Jesus to live the life that we saw the word instructed us to live. Father, that's not the way it is with you. You've said that all things are possible for us and all things have been given to us. You said that we have the same power resident in us that raised Jesus from the dead. That's power that overcomes sin. That's power that overcomes temptation. That's power that overcomes trouble and affliction. Hard places, hard times. Every and each and every work of the devil that comes against us. Oh, Father, we thank you for all the spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus that have been given to us. We have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Thank you that those blessings are real. Though they may be unseen to the natural eye, we thank you that those blessings are real. Lord, we bless you. We thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you, Father, that you are a holy Father and that you've made us holy children, new creatures in Christ Jesus. You've caused us to be the righteousness of God in him. Lord, we thank you for strengthening us with your mighty power. That we might walk worthy of you. That we might live up to that righteousness that we've been made. That we might put aside every weight and every sin which does so easily beset us. And run with patience the race that's set before us. Father, I know that there are so many of your people that are entangled with sins and the lust of their flesh. It's like there are re- weeds and, and, and vines wrapped around their feet. And they're trying to run. But their steps are limited. In the name of Jesus, Father, I thank you. That by the power of God, those things are broken. In Jesus' name. That as we, each and every one of us. Choose to set those things aside. We'll walk together in the crown of life. With a greater freedom. Freedom. A greater ability and a greater determination to walk with you. Father, there's nothing greater than to be in your presence. And sin cannot stay in your presence. Open our eyes, Lord, to how important it is for us to not be entangled with the things of the world. So that we can have the fullness of your blessing. That's our desire, Father. That's our prayer. And so we determine that that's the way we're going to live. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen.